Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can what? keep your plan oh, if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never it's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Freestyle Friday is upon us. First one of 2018. Dang, it feels good to be in a freestyle. I'm excited to be here with you. Thank you so much for hanging out. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We have much to discuss today and much fun to have as well, as is our uh, custom on Fridays. We will get into uh, all of the latest in the news cycle, but also just talk about some interesting stuff. Uh, And because it's a Friday, that also means you've got time for Action movie quote Friday. Action. You gotta ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Movie. This is Sparta! Quote. Say hello to my little friend! Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. For those who may be new to Action Movie Quote Fridays, it means that you can call in 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK, and just on the spot, see if you can get a true, bona fide, verified action movie quote past moi, the action movie master, because I spent far too much of my childhood, and yes, it was my childhood. I mean, I, I bought all kinds of Stallone and Schwarzenegger and, and Van Damme Movies. I we were going to put a Van Damme quote in the intro th- uh, this time, but uh, from Bloodsport, a- in part because it's a movie that I've seen so many times, I can pretty much pick up the dialogue at any point in it. So if someone starts talking to me in Bloodsportese, if you will, uh, that's Van Damme's best movie, no no question. Uh, I could just continue on the rest of the conversation. But also, Trump loves the movie. For those who Trump, lo- you didn't know that Trump loves Bloodsport, so. If Trump loves it, it's got to be good. Uh, yeah, he, there's some uh, story, an anecdote about how he made a reporter watch it. And there's one part at which Jean-Claude Van Damme goes into a split and punches a uh, a, a Zoftig fellow in the nether regions rather hard. And, and apparently the journalist kind of laughed nervously and Trump pointed him and started laughing about how he was laughing and how he didn't want to laugh, but he thought it was funny. I should note also that character that Jean-Claude Van Damme plays in that Bloodsport movie was the basis for Johnny Cage in the Mortal Kombat uh, video game, which then became a movie. But let's get into some other serious stuff in politics coming up here in just a moment. Although it is wide open to all of you who want to uh, join us here on, and try and try and get an action movie quote past the master. Also, big welcome to uh, KLBJ, our new affiliate down in Austin. Honored and a privilege and a pleasure. 
got to address all of you folks in the fine Austin area. And I'm going to make a trip down to Austin some point this year, 2018. So hopefully I'll get a chance to even maybe uh, shake hands, high fives, eat some barbecue, and see some of you listening to the show down there. That's the plan, at least. So what's going on in the last 24 hours? Amazing to see so much information coming in, news stories that you would think uh, you would think are things that would get much of the media worked up, that they would have uh, a lot to run with here with 250,000 jobs in December, 2 million fewer people on food stamps than uh, I believe Obama's last year in office. Which, I know it's 2 million fewer. I'm trying to remember what the comparison is. I think it's to Obama's last year in office. Uh, Food stamp numbers, I should note, are a very uh, important economic indicator because a lot of the other stuff that people use, yes, I will say it, the employment number, uh, the way they gauge inflation, these are things that can be and are manipulated and are also imprecise but food stamps are food stamps right the supplemental uh, supplemental nutritional assistance program snap if you want it you are on a registry and people know Uh, and the fewer people we have on that who need that assistance and help it's a better sign of economic times but there's very little focus on that very little focus on trump's expansion of offshore Drilling yesterday, uh, the continued roaring stock market, a piece today in Time magazine from Warren Buffett saying that, don't worry, with our with innovation and the free market, everything going on in this country, it feels a little scary right now, but the future generations in in this country are going to have it great. Maybe that's a little too optimistic for some of you to hear right now. Maybe you disagree, but I'm just saying this is stuff that would. If you had a Democrat president, you'd be hearing about the genius of whoever that Democrat president was. You'd be hearing about Hillary. People would be saying how amazing Hillary is. She's like, see what happened is the stock market's booming, all that stuff. But because you have Trump instead, what's the focus been on? The book. I keep wanting to say sound. It's fire and fury, right? I'm thinking of the Shakespeare quote, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing. And people are like, why do you think of that, Buck? Don't worry about it. I was thinking of a Shakespeare quote. Um, But here we are talking about a book about the president that is so tabloid-esque and also nonsensical. Forget about, oh, what are his sources and everything else. Some of the things that he asserts just can't possibly be true. I mean, some of the stories and the anecdotes, and he's even admitted some of that today himself. Which, to me, that strikes me as an indicator that there's a whole lot more, if we could ever get the full answers, there's a whole lot more that we would want to know about all of this. Uh, And yet, here we are. Um, Last night, to give you a sense of just how crazy all of this is, uh, last night we had a making the rounds, a meme that I will share with you now that I actually, I will say I posted it on Facebook and it's a, it's a fake and it's about this book, right? It's, it's a take on uh, the fire and fury book because the excerpts are leaking out and they have all this stuff. right? And by the way, this, the, what I do believe from it 
is the Bannon stuff, right? Bannon would say that guy would mouth off about everything. Every, every person that I know in the media business who has been an employee of Bannon's, who I know, that's not to say every person who has worked for Bannon. I know there's some people that are very loyal to him, but every person that I know can't say enough bad things about the guy. Uh, they, they act like he is Voldemort. Miss Molly made me watch some Harry Potter over the break, by the way, which is, a, you know, Harry Potter's fine, I suppose. Not really my not really my cup of tea, but it does allow me to make uh, the Voldemort reference here and there. But there was last night this meme going around. It was a fake excerpt from uh, Wolf's book, uh, Michael Wolf's book, Fire and Fury. And here is here is what it says. On his first night in the White House, the president complained that the TV in his bedroom was broken because it didn't have the gorilla channel. Trump seemed to be under the impression that a TV channel existed that screened nothing but gorilla based content 24 hours a day. To appease Trump, White House staff compiled a number of guerrilla documentaries into a makeshift guerrilla channel broadcast into Trump's bedroom from a hastily constructed transmission tower on the South Lawn. However, Trump was unhappy with the channel they had created, moaning that it was boring because, quote, the guerrillas aren't fighting. Staff edited out all the parts of the documentaries where guerrillas weren't hitting each other. And at last, the president was satisfied. On some days, he'll watch the Gorilla Channel for 17 hours straight, an insider told me. He kneels in front of the TV with his face about four inches from the screen and says encouraging things to the the, uh, the gorillas, like, quote, the way you hit that other gorilla was good. I think he thinks the gorillas can hear him. Now, look, this was a parody, right? This was a, a true instance of uh, of farcical comedy, of of using absurdity for the purposes of humor. But I would note that because the excerpts of Michael Wolff's book have been so outrageous, because there are so many people who are looking at what was said in this book and saying to themselves, uh, this is just crazy. You know, Trump is going to be removed from office by the 25th Amendment. Trump is is Trump is crazy. Trump's a child, all this terrible stuff. People read this fake excerpt and believed it. They thought this was in Wolf's book, which I think is largely a commentary on how it is hard now to decipher what is intentional media absurdity from the the absurdity of the day to day of the news cycle we see predominantly from CNN, but from other places as well uh, but the uh, the gorilla channel was was making the rounds yesterday or last night and there were plenty of people who uh inclu- including some complete hateful never trumpers that i'm familiar with on on twitter uh who who thought this was real they really believed that an author wrote that the president would watch a fake channel made for him on about gorillas only about gorillas for 17 hours a day now I went through a period where I played a lot of Sid Meier's Civilization. I will admit that. It was a fantastic video game. I probably had my legs fall asleep to the point where it was dangerous and I was, you know, risking blood clots at age 12. But after like four or five hours straight of video game, you're, um, you know what I mean? You're done, right? You got to go out, get some air, get some oxygen, you know, go get a pizza, whatever. 17 hours a day of, I mean, there's so much in it that's preposterous. It was funny. I mean, it was meant to be funny. 
but people believed it. And I don't necessarily blame people for believing it because there's also the component of it that, well, the media is saying the craziest stuff about Trump imaginable. The media is saying Trump is a traitor. Trump committed, he committed treason. We're going to have to remove him with the 25th Amendment. We're going to have, you know, he's, he's senile. He's, what have they not said? They've said so much about him that it, it almost becomes plausible that the media would report that he watches a channel, a fake channel about gorillas fighting for 17 hours a day. That's how that's how crazy things have gotten. So there you have it. Um, and that was what much of the day was spent on. What do you think about all of this? And also, if you have any action movie quotes for me or anything else that's on your mind, because I missed all of you. While I was uh, diligently avoiding the sun so that my pale Irish skin did not sizzle like bacon uh, down in Aruba, I didn't get a chance to hang out and chat with all of you. And I would very much like to do that now. So 844-900-2825. Freestyle Friday in effect. I'll be right back. Well, let me ask you, did you talk to the president? Did you interview him for this book? I, 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 absol- I absolutely spoke to the president, whether he realized it was an interview or not. Um, I, I don't know, but it certainly was not off the record. I am certainly and absolutely in every way comfortable with everything I've reported in this book. Would you release any of those recordings since your credibility is being questioned? I, my, my credibility is being cres- questioned by a man who has less credibility than perhaps anyone who has ever walked on earth at this point. Before, you stand by everything in the book. Nothing made up. Absolutely everything in the book. Did and you flatter I, your way in? I certainly said what was ever necessary to get the story. So you have... Uh... The author, Michael Wolf there of Fire and Fury, which is clearly now number one on Amazon. It's going to be a huge bestseller, I think, unfortunately, in part because of the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, Trump tweet out earlier today, quote, I authorized zero access to White House, actually turned him down many times for author of phony book. I never spoke to him for book full of lies, misrepresentations and sources that don't exist. Look at this guy's past and watch what happens to him and sloppy Steve. I should note, I am so I I am remiss. I did not tell you that perhaps the best Trump nickname of all. I think it is a fair yeah or, number one on the list. I mean, Lil Marco. I always thought Low Energy Jeb was great, just because like it's not mean, but yet it's very. Uh, <laughs> it's not mean, but it's condescending. Um, I always thought Low Energy Jeb was good. Lil Marco. Basically took Marco Rubio out of the presidential race, so there's that. And, uh, well, Crooked Hill, no, Crooked Hillary's still the best. That was the best. Crooked Hillary, yeah, that's number one. But number two, maybe Sloppy Steve. Uh, that's that's not a surprise that uh, he finally nailed Bannon with that one. And I think the Mercers have backed away from Bannon. They were the big funders of Breitbart. Uh The Mercer family, Trump tweeted seven hours ago from when I'm on air here, uh, recently dumped the leaker known as Sloppy Steve Bannon. Smart. Sloppy Steve Bannon. That's uh, going to be a tough one for him to shake. I I just, uh, one quick note, and this has nothing to do with anything other than we're talking about a fair amount of movies on, uh, on or we might be, if you want to call in and do Action Movie Quote Friday. The movie Congo was on last night which is a movie about gorillas, which is kind of random because there was this meme about gorillas. 
it is a terrible movie. And I read the book as a kid. It is like an almost unwatched. It's Michael Crichton. He wrote the book. And the movie is just, they've got this gorilla that that has like a machine that talks when the gorilla uses sign language. Like, Amy wants food. Amy wants. Um, and yeah, it's a really, really bad movie. I'm just trying to save you some time. Don't watch it. If, it, if you happen to uh, be snowed in this weekend or you don't want to freeze your nose off, uh, and Congo is on. Don't don't watch it. Um, it is it is really bad. Uh, we got a lot of calls coming in. Let's take some of them. Larry in Ohio. What's going on, Larry? Oh, Buck, enjoy your show, Larry. I enjoy hearing from you, my man. Happy 2018. Well, same to you. Uh, are you folks in New York? Yes, we're in New York City, right in Midtown. Well, I uh, I wanted to inform you, Trump's only been in office a little over a year. Well, I know. I think and, it's been a great year. You know, huh? I said it's been a great year. Yeah. And the best part is he's eliminated global warming. How so? Oh, because it's so cold right now. Cold? Yeah, <laughs> I'd say it's a cold. Okay, I agree, Larry. I agree. Hey, man, Larry, I always appreciate it, brother. Thank you for calling in and Shields High and happy 2018 to you. Uh, Dr. Rick, Rick MD, or no, is it Rick PhD? Well, it's a doctor of some kind. What's up, Rick? <laughs> it's PhD, and I don't know how I can follow that. Uh, but I wanted to say to your point about the incredible delusion and brainwashing happening where a ridiculous meme is thought to be truth. People really should be required reading in, in, in the Freedom Hut uh, to pull back out Animal Farm. Uh, well, you, know, you know, I did that myself really just about a month ago, and I've been telling everybody it's, it's, you should read it as a kid, you should read it as a young adult, and you should read it again as an adult. It's a three-timer. It's only like 80 pages. Oh, my daughter just finished, and I grabbed her copy to reread this weekend. Yeah, it's the so. best. It's 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 so good. It's so good, Doctor Rick, that Soviet dissidents read it themselves. It was translated, I believe, first into uh, Ukrainian uh, inside the Soviet Union, and they read it. And he had never been inside the Soviet Union. All right, uh, Orwell never visited. Eric Blair took on the pen name Orwell. Never visited, but. His description in Animal Farm so fit the reality of the Communist Party that dissidents were like, how does he understand this so well? And he's telling the story with animals. It's it's scary. And I tell you, I'm I'm at a very large institution and one of the very few conservatarians on the faculty. And they absolutely believe this. When they talk about, "Do, do I think... Donald Trump has a mental illness, which, by the way, is inappropriate for any professional to make a statement about a public figure regarding that. You know, they, they really believe this stuff. Yeah, no, Jake Tapper retweeted some guy that was saying that Trump has a mental illness. I'm like, he's never examined or spoken to Trump, so that's deeply unprofessional. Shields high, Dr. Rick. Great to have you uh, joining us here on the airwaves. Got some spots open on the lines, folks. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. I will tell you the one description that that everyone gave, everyone has in common. They all say he is like a child. And what they mean by that is he has a need for immediate gratification. You said that these senior people insult his intelligence. 
What are the kinds of things people would say? They say he's um, a, a moron, an idiot. Um, actually, there's a competition to sort of get to the bottom line here of who this man is. Let's remember, this man does not read, does not listen. So uh, he, he, he's, he's like a... Um, it's like a pinball, just 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 shooting off the side. So with all that disrespectful stuff said about the president of the United States, the commander in chief of the United States Armed Forces and the leader of the free world. And given that we've already had him in office for a year and it has been a dramatic improvement over his predecessor. What is the conclusion that a reasonable, rational person would take from this? Is it that Trump is all of these things that the media is saying or that the media has just completely lost their minds? That there are people who have been trained, they have been conditioned, they have been ideologically ossified in this progressivism for so long that they don't know anything else. Trump is a threat not just to their way of doing business, places like CNN and others, but he's a, he's a threat to their sense of who they are in their own eyes, right? How important they are, how truthful their view of the world is. What else could explain this level of hatred? He's like a child. I mean, the guy's a world-famous multi-billionaire with thousands of employees who managed to beat the most... Uh, coddled and propped up presidential candidate by the Democrats really ever. You know, say what you will about Obama. The guy could at least give a speech that got his base fired up and was was good. I'm not going to lie. Obama was charismatic to uh, in, in a certain way, for sure. Hillary wasn't, but she was still 99 percent going to be the president, according to The New York Times on Election Day. You'll also note that in this book by Michael Wolff, it can't be all things. It can't be that Trump never thought he was going to win, never took this seriously, but engaged in some treasonous multinational international espionage plot with Russia. To It's just it doesn't make any sense. It does not make sense. And so Michael Wolff saying all this stuff. Well, what are we to take about the system then? What are we to think of Hillary Clinton? So sad. What are we to think of Hillary Clinton losing to this guy? So I guess Hillary lost to a child then, right? I mean, look, I, I think that these descriptions of the president are, uh, as I said, deeply disrespectful. I also think they're obviously inaccurate. I mean, I, I don't know what he's like. I mean, I have met him before, but I don't know really what he's like as a person. I don't know what he's like with his family. But as president, he's doing a good job. And, you know, some of his tweets, sure, it's not on message, but I like his tweets. Not all of them, but most of them. I like that he calls out people in the media, that he goes right to the source. I like that he's finally made it okay without being you know, ridiculed in public to say that you know CNN is a propaganda organization. It's, here's how it's been for a long time now. You have Fox that leans right, right? Look, Fox is the... the the, the network for Republicans and conservatives where they can actually not everybody on Fox is conservative. And they actually, unlike CNN and MSNBC, will put decent Democrats and show them respect on air on a regular basis. But you know, Fox is the conservative network 
MSNBC is the left-wing progressive nutso network. And CNN is MSNBC that's just pretending to be down the middle. Now we all can say that out loud. It's not, oh, gosh, do you, you know, do you not subscribe to the New York Times? Do you not understand the way the world works? Spalding. I don't know how many of you are fans of uh, the original Caddyshack, which is a great movie. Uh, when your pants are too tight in the seat and the stock market's got you beat, Spalding. It sounds pretty much like that guy from Caddyshack. All right, every single line is lit, and I know I, I, I said that I missed all of you, and I want to take a lot of calls. So let's do that. Bob in Virginia, WPTI. Hey, Bob. Hey, man. Good to speak to you again. You too. Uh, I don't understand all these PhDs and the, the disrespect, but, you know, they're supposed to be the learned ones. You know, I went to college, and I've worked 40 years in finance, and i got a pretty good idea where things go. But, you know, the Donald is good at head-to-head confrontation, just like with the button thing with Kim Jong, whatever his name is, and, you know, he's got a bigger button. And that kind of stuff, I enjoy it thoroughly. I really do it. It makes me like he's a real person, that I don't have to curtsy and kiss his hand like the Queen and King stuff. I can go out and have a beer with Donald and know he's going to call me, you know, whatever he's going to call me. I just don't understand how all these guys that, you know, with Harvard or whatever you want to call it, make this money, and they can't figure that out. It's To me, it's ridiculous and laughable. Well, this is when, when they talk about threats to institutions, Bob, they, they try to make that sound as though Trump is a threat to our democracy, which is preposterous, but he is a threat to a certain class. He is a threat to the elites, because the moment you start to look more closely at people that have really fancy degrees, a lot of them, uh, you know, hold themselves up as being experts in any number of, of things, whether it's politics or, or global warming or you name it, you realize that these just aren't particularly impressive people, but they've bought into a system. They've become a part of this, this culture on the left. That is self-propagating. That is, you know, we are the smart, the good people. We should be in charge. We're better than everybody else. We know more than everybody else. And uh, Trump has been poking holes in that left and right. And especially after eight years of an Obama administration where you just had the, the, the media acting as cheerleaders for the guy all the time. It's it's deeply refreshing. You know, it's yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it's like, you know, the little people now like can laugh a lot more and saying man, we're not that bad, and, man, we got, we're got we more, you know, to the ground than these people. It's just, uh, I just love it. You yeah, know? man, I, mean, Look, you know. I, I think it's great, too. Bob Shields, hi, thank you for calling in. I, I would note that there are some who, some who will say, oh, well, you know, Trump's a billionaire, oh, this is, how, what can he have in common? You know, how, how can Trump sit down and have a conversation with a construction worker? He's a billionaire. And it's like, no, no, no. But what, what the media elites don't understand is that, People like Nancy Pelosi, people like, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer, they're making a pretense of caring about the working man. They're making a pretense of I could sit down and talk to a construction worker, but ask any and not to just keep focusing on construction workers, but I'm on this this terror right now. Ask any construction worker who he or she would rather sit down and and have a chat with. And a a lot of them are going to tell you that at least Trump and, and I don't mean who they agree with more politically. I mean, who they think would just kind of be more normal to talk to. I'm telling you, Trump is going to win that bet 
you know, eight or nine times out of ten. Doesn't it's not that he's in the same socioeconomic category as working folks out there. It's that you know, he he has normal habits and well, I'm not even talking about his habits of like eating, you know, burgers in bed and all that, all the stuff that's in this book. But I just mean he has a a normal way about him, an every man way about him that doesn't come across as an affect. And in fact, a lot of the stories and a lot of the details in this wolf book just go to reinforce what a lot of you have already known intuitively, which is that, yeah, you know, Trump Trump doesn't sit around thinking, you know, well, maybe the terrorists that try to blow up innocent men, women, and children in New York City, you know, you know maybe they've got a, a legitimate grievance about foreign policy, and this is blowback because of the, a U.S. legacy of, of uh, neo-colonialism in the Middle East and all this other claptrap that you'll hear from the elites. He's just like, nah, they're bad. They're savages. We got to we got to take them out. We got to protect our people. That's not a less learned approach in any meaningful way. That's just a more accurate description of what should be done. Right. That's just a more apt uh, way to deal with the situation. And this is what we're seeing, I, I think, perhaps. And by the way, we'll talk about North Korea and the possible opening there for diplomacy later on the show. We'll also talk to you about cryptocurrency and anarchism just because it's Friday. I like to spice things up. And we'll discuss the latest on the uh, various investigations ongoing right now, including uh, the re the well, the yes, reopening of the investigation into Hillary's emails, because that's a thing now. Oh, no. I know Hillary's very sad about this. She she should be, because if you look at the emails and you start to connect the dots with the Clinton Foundation, I have been saying this from the beginning of that whole mess. It was always a, Hillary did not set up and, and let me uh, I'm switching gears here for a second, but this is an important point. And I don't want to forget it. And I've got so many calls to take and topics to talk to you about that. This could easy get lo- easily get lost on the uh, so-called cutting room floor here in the radio, although we don't technically do that. It's all digital now. Uh, here's how it would go. Hillary did not set up a server, not just an email account, but a server in her basement in Chappaqua. Because she was trying to evade classified protocols. Okay. As as bad as I think Hillary is and and as as dishonest and yes, crooked, the purpose of it was not about, oh, I'm gonna write a uh, hundred emails that have classified information. That was a byproduct. The purpose of setting up the server in the bathroom was that it allowed her to keep total retention over all records, which is also why she was using it for all these different things. And she didn't have to think then about, oh, is this going to get swept up in a public records request, a FOIA request, or even, a, she wasn't thinking about this then, but a criminal investigation, the Clinton Foundation business. That's what this was all about. She was running that Clinton slush fund and using her cronies to enact her will with that from the same email account that she was doing her Secretary of State business. And if you look into that, whether it's Uranium One or any number of other shady dealings with the Clinton Foundation, that's where I think you're going to find the real the real payoff. It's always been there. This is also why I've been telling you the Clinton Foundation, uh, Clinton Foundation donations before the numbers even came in. I knew they'd be down huge. It's like down 30 or 40 percent. I forget what it was. I told you on the show recently, but it's down huge. If it were really a philanthropic enterprise, it wouldn't matter that Hillary didn't win the election, right? 
if it were really about if it was the equivalent of the uh, you know the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which I know also does some progressive stuff, some you probably really dislike, but it is a charity, right? The guy's worth uh, whatever it is, you know, fifty or sixty or seventy billion dollars. I mean, he's he's not doing it for the money. Uh, that's not going to the donations aren't going to rise and fall based upon any any particular election with Hillary. It did. Why? Because it was all about selling ac- access and influence because the Clintons not just not just content to corrupt the White House in ways that would have been unthinkable until Bill Clinton. Hey, I'm still around, everybody, uh, until Bill Clinton had his had had his way. Pardon the expression. Uh, they also then were, were willing to go and pollute charitable giving and to use a charity as an alibi for their criminal impulses. That's the legacy of the Clintons. And that's why if you look at the foundation and you look at the emails, you might find, I always tell you, a lot of this investigation stuff is going nowhere, right? They're not going to, they're not going to find any Russia collusion stuff, but they're also not known from the FBI is going to prison over this. I'm just, I'm just the one who tells you the truth. Other people, oh yeah, we're going to march them in, you know, handcuffs. Nope. No one from FBI or DOJ is going to jail. Just like I was saying originally when Romney lost to Obama. Well, now no one's going to, you know, there's no accountability really for Benghazi. No one's going to go to jail over that. And they didn't. Uh, But with the Clinton Foundation, hmm, I want to think about that one a little more. There's some stuff there. All right. We got to hit a break. I'll be right back. Stay with me. Look, we, we said they spoke once by the phone for a few minutes, but it wasn't about the book. They had a very short conversation, but he never interviewed the president about the book. He repeatedly begged to speak with the president and was denied access. And he makes it sound uh, like he was sitting outside the Oval Office every single day, which is just not the case. Uh, this is a guy who made up a lot of stories to try to sell books. Uh, and I think more and more people are starting to see uh, that his facts just simply don't add up. Facts don't add up, according to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, who I I will say I've mentioned this before, I think, here on the air, but has really turned out to be one of the uh, administrative or or staffing bright spots of this administration. I mean, not not quite not quite yet on the uh, level of some of the others, but uh, doing a great doing a great job nonetheless. And I would note uh, the top of the heap for me is General Mattis. And there was a quote from earlier today where Defense Secretary Jim Mattis uh, was asked by reporters at the Pentagon what his biggest concern in 2018 was. And Mattis responded, quote, I don't have concerns. I create them. End quote. General Mattis, Secretary Mattis, National Treasure. All right. Uh, lines are open, by the way, if you would like to uh, chat. We've got some spots now. 844-900-2825. I know usually there's like this. I open the lines and then there's this rush of different calls and people send me emails and Facebook messages. They say, I couldn't get through. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, those of you who stay with me for a while know that as we take calls, we only have, uh, I think six phone lines that we can hold at one time. So as people go, um, then, then the spots open up, uh, but we get calls all throughout the show. So with that, I'll stop doing what I'm doing here. Brent in New Mexico. Hey, Brent. Hey, Buck. Shields high, man. Shields high. Hey, man, like you, I'm curious after tax season comes up to see how that Clinton Foundation does when they turn in all their 
all their information. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think all of a sudden it's going to look really interesting. All those people at CNN who are like, it's a charity. Why do you hate charity? I'm like, it's not really a charity. It's it's a, it's a charity the way that a grocery store that is, you know, importing and exporting large amounts of cocaine in the back room is a grocery store. I'm sure you can buy some Coca-Cola in the front, but they're selling a different kind of Coke in the back, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. That thing's going to go down, and I'll be curious to hear from you whenever it comes out. But I had an action movie quote for you, and I'll get off the line. Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, I love the core. Uh, every meal's a banquet. Formation parade. I love the core. That's the sergeant from Aliens, which we've actually played on the show. Yeah. Okay. That's a I phenomenal quote. I, I love that guy, by the way. I was so bummed when I saw the movie. And he gets, he gets spoiler alert, he gets taken out pretty early by the aliens. But he's great. Man. He's like a scene stealer in that movie. That's good, Buck. I couldn't remember that one. And I love that movie. But I, every time I heard that on the intro from last year, man, I just couldn't place it. So <laughs> I wanted to hear it. Rock and roll. Brent, Shield Time, man, thank you very much for calling in. All right, so we've got a referral about Fusion GPS and the possibility of getting some answers as to what really happened with the dossier. May we bien sûr, the dossier. Um, and uh, we've got to get into that. As I said, also North Korea. Might talk a little bit about the cutoff of aid to Pakistan, although kind of early to say what's happening with that. Uh, maybe maybe I'll give you, We'll see. Uh, I'll see how frisky I feel in the second hour, how much I'm going to talk about, and we'll see what we get to. Um, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Team, we are rolling. I can't believe an hour of the show has already gone by. Hour two coming up. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Friday is moving along here in Freedom Hut. Great to have you. Lines open 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. If you would like to call in, please do. Uh, you can try and test your metal with an action movie quote or any of the real stuff going on in the news cycle, whatever you want. It's been a while since I've had a chance to chat with many of you because I was on a uh, the longest vacation that I can remember being on since I started in media. So I think it's about seven years now and uh, it was a week. So woo. Uh, I was speaking in the last uh, hour about the Michael Wolf book, sound and fury and all that. Look, you know, come on. Oh, if you missed it, by the way, you can always listen to the full show in podcast format. iTunes, subscribe there. Uh, the first hour's got a lot of fun stuff for those of you who are joining us in the second hour. And uh, you can, if you missed the third hour because you got to run and cook dinner, you know, hang out with the kids, whatever you got going on, third hour's always there too. iTunes, great place. Or follow on the iHeart app, The Buck Sexton Show. So now we can uh, get into the latest here on the dossier and Fusion GPS and the allegations or uh, possibility of criminality involved. Here's the New York Times reporting today on this one. More than a year after Republican leaders promised to investigate Russian interference in the presidential election, two influential Republicans on Friday made the first known congressional criminal referral in connection with the meddling against one of the people who sought to expose it. Senator Charles Grassley, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, 
chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, a senior committee member, told the Justice Department that they had reason to believe that a former British spy, Christopher Steele, lied to federal authorities about his contacts with reporters regarding information in a dossier, and they urged the department to investigate. The committee is running one of three uh, congressional investigations into Russian election meddling, and its inquiry has come to focus on, in part, Mr. Steele's explosive dossier. End quote. Okay. This could get very interesting. You have had a few people already caught up in the Mueller investigation for lying to the FBI, most notably or specifically uh, George uh, Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos. It is very fun to say. I can't remember if the suffix ulos in uh, for Greek names means of the Peloponnese or I think that's right. I think if you have ulos as the suffix of your Greek name, it means you're from the Peloponnese. Another suffix that's fun to know, I-A-N, anything in at the end. Overwhelmingly, Armenian also can be Iranian or people say Persian, but Iranian. Uh, it's a, a fun trick. So if you meet somebody with I-N at the end of their name, pretty good bet. You're, if you ask them, are you Armenian? They're going to say yes. Uh, so we have this Christopher Steele fellow. And I'm sorry. Wait. And I, I'm General Flynn, the other guy, lied to the FBI. So lying to the FBI can get you sent to prison or at least criminally charged with the possibility of going to prison. Interesting to see today. You got a couple of senators here who are very much involved in the whole Russia collusion investigation, fusion GPS. All There's a lot of threads here. I know this is. Uh, you know, I kind of wish I could. A beautiful mind, this whole thing where he's got all the papers on the walls and everything and drawing it all out. And it it requires a really uh, detailed accounting of events just to keep up with. The the timeline is long and dense for this whole Russia collusion thing. I think in part because so much flimsy and false reporting clouds the true facts of, of this case. But he had these two senators who were saying, OK, uh, we've we've had access to some of what's going on here. And they just won this federal court case or federal court order that says that the Republican members of Congress are going to get more access to what the DOJ did and what they had and the information around Russia, collusion, fusion, GPS, all that stuff. And now you've got Grassley and Lindsey Graham who are asking DOJ to look at whether Christopher Steele lied to the FBI. It's noteworthy that already some are jumping in to say, oh, that's not a real crime. Oh, okay. So if someone that you don't like lies to the FBI, they should have their reputation and career ruined and go to prison. But if someone who a Democrat or the left does like or need, that's a better way to describe it, lies to the FBI, then the law doesn't really apply anymore. Now, we're talking about Christopher Steele in this instance, but I could just as easily be talking about Hillary Clinton. Oh, no! Right? We know that it could very well be Hillary instead of Christopher Steele, who was given a pass. They set up all of the traps they could 
the process crime traps for Flynn, for Papadopoulos, and others with the Mueller probe. They made sure that they gave Hillary free passage through all of those traps during the email investigation, which we're going to talk about in just a second here. But if, in fact, Christopher Steele lied to the FBI, then that would necessitate prosecution, but also... What would that tell us about how much often or how much truth we can ascribe to the dossier? It would undermine the narrative even further, wouldn't it? Right. This guy's lying to the FBI. Who's he covering for? Why would he do that? And you will also see that there's a real blurring here of oppo research, journalism, private intelligence. Uh, You know, what was Christopher Steele doing? Is he claiming that he has to protect sources because of some journalistic integrity? He's not a journalist, right? He's a he's a gun for hire, so to speak. So why would he lie to the FBI? Who would he be protecting? That would be worth it for us to know. But bigger news today on the whole investigation front. Hillary Clinton's email investigation has been reopened by the Department of Justice. They are going to be uh, looking into what happened with the Clinton Foundation and was there any real pay to play, as I was telling you earlier in the show. That was the whole, the the purpose of the server, the origin, the the, uh, origin story of all of Hillary's email troubles is traced back not to her desire to violate classified protocol. I mean, that's just a stupid thing to do. But she was sloppy because she thought she wouldn't be caught. And the reason that she would even put herself in the position where sloppiness could result in all these problems was because she wanted to make sure that she had full control over her email record. And so while she was Secretary of State, if she shot off a quick email to a Clinton donor or somebody who was acting on behalf of a Clinton Foundation donor, it wouldn't get caught up in the State Department emails, right? Because if she was using her state.gov email address on a regular basis, there was the very real possibility, right? Any of you who have, I mean, I have multiple email accounts, right? Work, private, everyone does. Or a lot of people do. If she was using different accounts, or if rather somebody emailed her, forget about even what she did. If someone had emailed her, hey, this big donor to the Clinton Foundation wants you to do X, and that's in her state.gov account, she can't delete that. That's public record. That will be there. So she didn't even have to, and she knew this, right? She's crafty, sloppy, but crafty. And that was why she set up the private server, because the server would have allowed her to delete. Now people say, oh, Buck, but they looked through it all. Yeah, they found classified information. They found a crime. She clearly wasn't operating under the uh, auspices of somebody who thought that maybe she'd be held to account for what was on the server because she never thought they would find out. She thought she's a Clinton. She thought she'd get away with it. But they never really looked at the Clinton Foundation angle in those emails. Right? No one's ever really done a deep dive into that part of all this. And that's where I think you may see some some problems. 
for Hillary. And as long as, and this is what I would say to those, oh, it's what about ism and Hillary's not president. You'll hear all that stuff. As long as the Democrat media left is hellbent on destroying the Trump presidency and overturning the results of the free and fair election of 2016, then the disparate treatment of Hillary Clinton and President Donald Trump by the Department of Justice, by those institutions that are most uh, trusted to be nonpartisan and not be political actors, uh, that is a, a central issue right now. It's not, it's not a distraction. It's not whataboutism. It is astonishing that such uh, a different approach would be taken. But as I, as I have said here, this is because the same degree of bias that allows people in the media to think, yeah, you know, it's just 90% of our coverage is, is, is pro-Hillary and 90% of our coverage is anti-Trump, but we're not biased. That's just reality. That same level, uh, that same lack of honesty and self-awareness that that characterizes the current American media, right? And, you know, fake tapper over at CNN and all the rest of it. That same, uh, that same reality that we see on college campuses where you have more literally in some schools, more socialists and communists than you have registered Republicans on the faculty, but they think that's just normal for some reason. It is true at some level in the upper reaches of the federal bureaucracy. And I know because I was a part of the federal bureaucracy for a little while and I saw it and I dealt with it and I'm, I was very aware the stuff that was said about quite openly about President Bush would never have been allowed to be said, you know, inside, whether it was Langley or any number of other places uh, about President Obama. Never. He would never have got. And there was a double standard. It was clear as clear can be. And that extends to the Department of Justice and that extends to the way that the FBI, the DOJ and the prosecutorial arm of the federal government approaches Democrats versus Republicans. You want to talk about the swamp. That is the stinkiest, deepest, most putrid part of the swamp. No one has a faster route to ruining lives and playing dirty than a politicized prosecutor in our government. I mean, it, the IRS is close, but I'd rather be dealing with the IRS than a, than a federal prosecutor who's decided that for the good of the country, I must be taken down because I'm a conservative. And that's, that's what we're seeing, and the, the, the evidence is much more supportive of that than that Trump was part of some ill-conceived and nonsensical conspiracy with Russia to, to I don't even know what they think they were going to accomplish. It's not even a good conspiracy, everybody. It's not it's not even a sensible underhanded way to try and turn an election result. I mean, this is like pouring your coffee out in the ocean, being like, I'm changing the temperature. It doesn't work that way. All right. Uh eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. Some lines are open, team. Let's uh let's hit it when we get back. Stay with me. There are 
growing signs of paranoia, delusion, and isolation in the president's behavior, and uh, any hope that we had that it might turn around or get better uh, was dashed by the discussion. And she and other mental health professionals we've spoken to have said that there are other people who they've treated with the same kinds of symptoms, and there's basically no real uh, medical cure for the condition that he's demonstrating. And uh, their object in treating people with these symptoms is to contain them and to keep them away from weaponry. It is our job to enforce the Constitution, and the 25th Amendment has a way of dealing with this potential crisis. So that's Representative Jamie Raskin, who is also a... Is he? A, he's a psychiatrist, right? Or no? Oh, he's just, he's just, okay. So here we, so, so we got people that are just saying that they talked to a psychiatrist somewhere. And this is, this reminds me of the, the uh, leftist thing for a while where they'd say, you know, like, you know, my, my, my five-year-old came up to me and said, why does Trump want to remove the Obamacare provision that would cover people including with pre-existing conditions, Daddy. It's like, I don't think your five-year-old asked you that. But this is what this was happening for a while. People were making up stories about their very young children as a means of illuminating how terrible Trump was, you know? Why would... Why, Daddy, why does Trump... I'm only six, but I just want to know, why does Trump want to threaten the prospect of a trade war with China when that could have truly disruptive effects on our economic growth and really hamper GDP? I'm only six, but I know a lot. People were, I'm, I'm not making it up. There were people that were, well, I, made, I made that up, but I'm, that this was a, a ploy for a while is is well documented. A lot of journalists were, were talking about what their, particularly their young daughter, right? Oh, how do I explain to my eight-year-old that Trump is, whatever it is. Now it's the mental health thing. Now you've got people who are saying that, uh, you know, there are increasing signs that Trump is, is, they're saying he's crazy. You know, (laughs) could they just focus on one way that they want this presidency to end? I think they'd have much better luck. I think they would, or at least they'd be less laughable. We have to take it seriously, but they're also buffoons and we should, we should mock them for this. So, so Trump is going to be removed from office because of the emoluments clause. Oh no, just kidding. That was... That was uh, frivolous, a frivolous charge that they had made. Okay, so Trump is going to be removed from office because of the Russia Mueller investigation. Oh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So now Trump's going to be removed because of the 25th Amendment. It's like they learn nothing. They pay no attention to evidence or events. They just concoct them. This is all a, a fabrication of their minds, of their fevered dreams. I don't know, man. It's getting, it's getting crazy out there. Uh, Andy in Florida. Let's talk some sense here, Andy. What's up? Whoa. Bob, first off, first of all, I apologize if we have a really bad connection. So if you drop me, I certainly understand. I promise but, you'll have uh, a soft landing. What's up? There you go. Hey, well, I uh, was listening to last night's podcast uh, in the car here with my son, who is with me, my son, Joshua. Hey. Uh, and uh, you got us into a discussion on, uh, on somehow, I don't remember exactly how, but you got us into a discussion on uh, intellectual property rights. Okay. Which are protected. Now, 
intellectual property rights are protected in the Constitution, but my son, who has a more libertarian bent than I do, um, tends to think that, uh, that really there shouldn't be such a thing as intellectual property rights. And I'll let him make his own argument, but we'd like to get your input on it. It's a tag team phone Maybe call. the third-party arbiter. Okay. <laughs> Essentially, my position was that intellectual property inevitably violates property rights. That um, if, let's say I buy a tractor from John Deere, I'm not, uh, they've taken people to court over this. You can't repair your John Deere um, without going to an authorized dealership or whatever because they're afraid you're going to look inside the John Deere and, you know, figure out how it works and make a copy and sell it. Um, you know, well, but but it, it sounds to me, Andy, like that's that's a, a case for maybe curtailing some intellectual property rights, but but eliminating all intellectual property rights would mean that, that research and development and technology would would largely cease other than what the government does. And we know how good the government is at being uh, ahead of the curve. So are you telling me that you just think that it needs to be revisited intellectual property rights or that you don't believe in them as a general, as just as an outright elimination? Uh, Generally outright elimination. I mean, I don't think any other country except maybe England before uh, we instituted into our constitution are respected intellectual property rights. So, you know, I mean, technology can flourish and, um, Innovation can flourish. Okay, um, I'm just going to, Andy, I, 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 I'm not trying to cut you off. We're going to a hard break. Um, I, I definitely and, and strenuously disagree with you, but I'm going to have to take that up after the break. And I appreciate you guys calling in. So listen in and I'll address. Stay with me. So, team, one more thing here on the opening of the Clinton Foundation email and reopening of that investigation. This is, this is a CNN report um, that just came to my attention here. I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to talk about why it matters. I think you already knew that, but just, just, just so we're all on the same page. During the Obama administration, remember, this is CNN, so this is, this is like hashtag resistance central. Or actually, not really. That's MSNBC. CNN's kind of like, me too, I'm part of hashtag resistance. I'm a hashtag resistance big guy. Yay. Not really. MSNBC's got like double or triple the ratings now, or at least double the ratings of CNN. So maybe I should turn that on the monitors in here, make fun of that stuff instead. All right. So this is what CNN reported. During the Obama administration, criminal division leaders at the FBI met with the Justice Department's public integrity section to discuss whether to move forward on full-blown investigations of the foundation, including the ability to subpoena records. While at the time, justice officials determined that there wasn't sufficient evidence to proceed, they agreed with the FBI that agents be allowed to continue their work with the option to pursue more actively if they found additional evidence. There were also concerns within the Justice Department about the close proximity to the election, CNN reported at the time. It's just a message of, Hold right now until after the elections. No subpoenas issued, no interviews, one law enforcement official familiar with the thinking told CNN at the time. So what this means, ever end quote there, what this means is that DOJ during the election was all, yeah, you know, like Hillary investigation, emails, pay for play. 
let's let's not let's not disrupt things. You know, let let's just keep this going in the background. No, this is a quote. Remember, no subpoenas, no interviews. Uh to my law enforcement brothers and sisters out there, if you're not doing any subpoenas and you are not doing any interviews, are you doing an investigation? I think we all know the answer, right? If you're not talking to anybody and you're not subpoenaing any documents, records, or evidence of any kind, what what would you say you're doing here? And the answer is making sure that Hillary gets to be the next president and then the, then the investigation would just quietly disappear. They put the investigation of her email. DOJ, this is what happened. CNN's reporting this like, yeah, you know, whatever. DOJ decided they didn't want to interfere with the election, so that meant they didn't want to go forward with an actual investigation. And this is apart from the Hillary email investigation about classified information. This is about Clinton Foundation pay to play. I see David Gergens up on the CNN screen. Maybe we could get him to win. Well, you know, Hillary's the finest politician of my generation stretches back to, you know, Woodrow Wilson and uh, Woodrow Wilson and, you know, JFK and and, and Nixon and and stuff. I just stole all of his talking points from his CNN appearance. Young whippersnappers making fun of me. I had to sit there, as I've told you on more than one occasion, and get... Uh, gurgled by Gergen. Nixon and Ford and Reagan and stuff. Oh my. Oh my. So uh, yeah, we'll see if this actually, if this investigation uh, goes anywhere. I, I, I would also throw into this, I would add into this, this pot uh, that we will come to find out that much of this investigating uh certainly of the russia collusion stuff but just in general a lot of this oh let's start another investigation is uh, a waste of public time and resources it won't go anywhere russia collusion stuff and it's it's worse actually than a waste i shouldn't even say that it's just damaging and serves no purpose other than partisan vendetta it's damaging because it wastes time and money and everything else it also will uh, harm people who don't really deserve to be harmed. Uh, it will imprison some people even who should not be. And at the end, what we'll see is that the Justice Department and our processes of uh, criminal justice in general have been tainted by this desire to weaponize uh, DOJ, the the Office of the Attorney General, uh, the FBI. And that's we we've been told so many times, oh, Trump. Uh, remember, they were saying he was a fascist the first few months. At least they've stopped with that for a little while. At least they've backed off of Trump is Trump is a, an American version of the Nazi party. That's what they were saying. And when I mean they I don't mean, you know, crazy people that have, uh, you know, five followers on Facebook or something. I mean, mainstream news outlets. We're so worried. What's going to happen when Trump is president? We're all going to be like, you know, herded like cattle into the FEMA camps and it's going to be terrible. No, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. FEMA camps, Illuminati, Bilderberg. That's a different. That's a whole different. That's a different show. That's a different topic. Oh, really, Sexton? Bring it. What do you got? Uh, But this is all going to end up. We're going to see doesn't doesn't do anything that these people who are so desperate 
for this investigation to uh, end the Trump administration. It's not going to give them what they want. Before we go into break, I just want to note that the that there are some gymnasiums, gyms, I don't know why I just said gymnasiums, but I, I felt like I'd give you the full, you know, I didn't want to just use the vernacular of a gym, that are dropping cable news. And I, I don't know where this is, ha- I think it's happening on the East Coast here in New York. In any city, it's a it's a pretty telling phenomenon. You, you go into the gym and they've all got these monitors now for, you know, your cardio machines and you got the... You got the ellipticals and the different and the rowing machines and everything's got to have. Uh, and I will note that as somebody rode a road uh, competitive rowing in college, I was on the crew team. That's the one thing that I see people in the gym doing all the time. And I'm like, there's just that don't. It's not something you want to do wrong. And and I'd say eighty percent of the people I see doing it are doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong when it comes to the rowing machine. Most people are doing it wrong. Uh, but anyway. You see all these monitors on, and they have cable news on, and not Fox. It's CNN, MSNBC, sometimes Bloomberg here in New York City, but CNN, MSNBC. And I've never, some gyms are stopping that because they say it's not part of a healthy lifestyle, meaning that, you know, it's not really relaxing to be watching, uh, you know, well, well, maybe it's relaxing as in sleep inducing, but it's not good for your your peace of mind to be sitting there and trying to work out and escape from your day and have to watch like Aaron Burnett and Wolf Blitzer. Why is that? Or or whoever's on during the day. Like It doesn't make sense, right? You think about it. But this has been the way it is for a long time. Fox is excluded from the gyms. You won't see Fox News on. Just monitor after monitor with MSNBC and CNN. And, you know, does, does watching uh, Chris Hayes or Rachel Maddow really get people fired up to put a few extra miles in the treadmill? I mean, even people that watch their shows when they go home, right? I'm talking about progressives. I would think not. I would think that for uh, for a lot of folks, the gym would be a nice escape from the constant barrage of the information culture we live in. But maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, some gyms are dropping it now. So instead, you're going to get to watch like HGTV and uh, I don't know, DI different DIY shows. I will say I love those shows where they're like, and now, like, we're going to see, like, Bob and Sally, and they're in, you know, Australia looking for a house. Their budget is two or... Th- I, that is addictive. I can watch that stuff all day. I'm like, no, go for the colonial with the backyard. What are you doing, people? I get very into it. As a New Yorker, like, you, you, come, to, you come to really cherish every square foot of space you have because, you know, in my, in my uh, tax bracket, you only get about, you know, two or three hundred of them. Uh, and so when you watch these people that are in other parts of the world or other parts of the country, I know those of you listening in some, you know, those of you listening in Nebraska are like, Buck, I got, you know, I got a 2000 square foot barn. You can go crash in anytime you want. Right. I mean, you got plenty of room, uh, but here you don't have that. And so you watch these shows where they're looking for a home, you know, a, a place to move to. I find those, uh, those are very, that, that's my, that's one of my TV watching binge watching weaknesses. I'll just watch people picking from different houses you know, it's like we have a budget of 2500 a month and we really like a place that's close to the city, but Bob would like a place where he could also bike into the country and they go through all the different stuff, you know. And Then you watch, you watch relationships like fray to the point of dissolving where she's like, no, like I don't want to live in this place. Like their bathrooms are not redone. And, you know, you go through all that. And you're like, Buck, are you okay? Maybe they're going to start saying, you know, Buck Sexton's losing it. remove Buck Sexton with the 25th Amendment. Um, All right, 844-900-2825.
844-900 buck. I'll be right back. Just a quick anecdote before we get to some calls here about uh, Aruba. Hey, uh, you know, steel drums get boring after like 15 minutes for me, but it was nice when I was down there. Uh, I went snorkeling. I've had this experience before where I've probably been snorkeling once every, I don't know, once every five or six years for the last 20 years or something, right? I mean, it just, you go, and it's in theory really cool. And look, I love swimming in general, like swimming out in the ocean, all that stuff. Uh, but I always find that because we have so much exposure to incredible footage from all these, you know, like the Planet Earth series and all this stuff, that you kind of get spoiled. Like when when I go out there, I'm like, where are the, you know, where are the pods of whales and dolphins? And, you know, where's like the, you know, the, the 15 foot long manta ray that I could ride on because it is a gentle giant of the ocean. And you actually just end up seeing like a bunch of tiny little fish <laughs> like dart away from you. And, you know, it's, t- it's tough. I'm sure there's probably some, you got to do scuba. I know people who say there's got to scuba if you want to see the big fish. Fine, fine. But I, I, I always feel like I go school, I go uh, snorkeling, and I'm like, well, saw a lot of uh, coral reef, which was nice. Hey, I saw some reef. Uh, I did see a barracuda that was maybe I don't know. I want to say three feet long. Maybe it was two feet long. Right now, I'm getting to fish stories. But the one funny thing that happened was I was the among the first to uh, to jump off. Our, we went to some protect some cove area, and they had a, a reef right off it. And I was one of the first people, because, you know, I'm uh, first first one to, to jump into the breach, right? So I, I jump off with the, with the instructor, the snorkeling instructor, and he was all like, do you scuba? Those of you who have seen the very bad movie Along Came Polly, oh, yeah, Along Came Polly, you know what I'm talking about, scuba? Um, but I jumped, and I'm, we're sitting there, I'm trying to make conversation as people figure out, like, yeah, that's right, put the... Put the thing that you blow through in your mouth and, you know, you put the mask on. People are like, how do I do this? Uh, I'm sitting there waiting. We're kind of treading water out there. And I'm like, so what's the biggest thing? What's the biggest thing you've ever seen out here? Yeah, He's like, oh, I've been doing this for, you know, for like four or five years. So what's the biggest thing you've ever seen on the reef we're about to go to? And he goes, oh, you know, I saw like a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I saw like a six or seven foot long reef shark. And I remember I said to the guy, I said, oh, but you're like a uh, reef shark. That's no big deal, right? He's like, oh, no, that scared the crap out of me, man. I hope you don't see one today. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, but I thought I thought we were in the trust tree. I thought we were in the nest. Like, I thought the sharks, you don't worry about the sharks, Mr. Snorkeling Instructor. And he was like, nah, no, nah, that scared me. Uh, so anyway, we didn't see anything that cool. I saw a barracuda for like a second, and then it went away. And that it's not even that interesting. And those of you who, who do scuba, that, that's I should really probably get into that. I think I'd like scuba diving. Um, so there you have it. Oh, something about good things, by the way, because we had so much with the president having to deal with the whole, the Wolf book, which, uh, Michael Wolf's book, which sold out in 20 minutes in DC. Uh, there's not a lot of focus on some of the things that are happening right now that are really good, as I've been saying to you, including the possibility of a new opening, uh, with regard to North Korea, um, North Korea, which, Uh, We'll talk about the next hour and also cryptocurrency and anarchy. Hey, that'll be uh, out there topic. You won't hear many other places. But I just thought it was worth noting that the tax cuts are are already bringing even more benefits for folks. So I forget what was the company today that announced that they were going to somebody else just announced a thousand dollar bonus for every. It was a big company, too. I forget who it was today. 
but more people are getting more cash because of the tax cut. And there's a, a tremendous amount of, of optimism and, dare I say, bullishness around where the economy is going to go, in part because of this. Uh, and Trump, you know, he talked about it. I'm going over with the senators. We're going to Camp David. We have a lot of things to work on, a lot of things to accomplish. The stock market is up very, very big today. Uh, we've set new records, and I think they'll be continued to set. The tax cuts are really kicking in far beyond what anyone thought. Numerous companies have today come out and announced that they're going to make big payments to their employees, something that nobody really had in mind. So we're very honored by it. But the market is good. The jobs reports were very good, and we think they're going to get really good over the next couple of months. So again, we're going to Camp David with a lot of the great Republican senators, and we're making America great again. You know, the, the president saying this stuff, and, and there's so much about it that I really do like, I would just note that there's been an added benefit to this whole process, which is that you've had so many people in the media who have come out and been like, oh, well, you know, who, you know, what, what, what's that? What's a thousand dollars really going to do for somebody? And a lot of Americans like, oh, ex- excuse me, but uh, I could actually really use a thousand dollars right now. You know, uh, that, that would really help out. That would help with some bills. That would help pay down a, a credit card that maybe I ran up a little bit or that pays for an unforese- unforeseen medical expense or, or whatever the case may be. So there's been a lot of exposing of that uh, elitism among those who cover. But it's also just a part of Trump derangement syndrome, right? Trump is getting in an average $2,000 uh, pay cut for the middle class. And somehow that's a bad thing. Somehow that's a bad thing. There was that great CBS, I think it was CBS News video right before uh, Christmas, where they had a family finding out how much they were saving. You could tell the journalists were like, oh, no. All right, we got uh, North Korea coming up here in just a few minutes with Gordon Chang. Going to talk to him about that. Also, Michael Malice. Going to talk about cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Zcash, all that stuff that's out there now, uh, and whether that will play a role in anarchy or anarchism going forward. And then I'll talk to you about uh, some... and unexpected perspective on the Me Too sexual harassment movement in the New York Times, and then some of your thoughts via Team Buck Roll Call. So that is what is coming up. Stay right where you are, and we'll be right back. You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Has there been a major breakthrough in relations between North Korea and South Korea, or is this yet another head fake? Is this an effort to try and uh, lessen the sanctions that the Trump administration and others have put on the uh, so-called hermit kingdom? We have Gordon Chang joining us now. He's author of The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, great to have you back. Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year, Buck, and thank you so much. Uh, how how big of uh, a thing is this, Gordon? And, and, and we've got, what, uh, the phone line is back online between North and South. There's going to be some talks at the DMZ. Tell us what's going on and, and what it means. Well, on Tuesday, we're going to have the first talks between North Korea and South Korea since the end of 2015. Um, the hotline, as you mentioned, is back on the first month, uh, first time since February 2016, and actually, I think that this is Kim Jong-un, the North Korean ruler, 
trying to get some relief from sanctions, not only U.N. sanctions, but the ones imposed by the Trump administration, uh, because President Trump has been trying to cut off the flow of money to North Korea. And basically, Kim is saying to South Korea, look, um, I want some cash from you. Also, we got to remember what's happening in Iran right now. You know, Iran generally is thought to pay North Korea somewhere between two and a half, three billion dollars a year. If there's a new government in Tehran, that could easily just uh, be cut off. So Kim is, I think, um, maybe not desperate, but close to desperate, looking for new sources of cash. And this uh, this series of discussions will also involve talks about a North Korean team or North Korean teams going to participate in the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Is there significance to this? Is it just symbolic? Well, it's it's good that the North and South Koreans are talking to each other. I mean, it, this is about, I think, just two North Korean figure skaters who qualified for the Olympics. Um, and South Korea would like to have peace during the Games. So uh, there is uh, just a lot of discussions right now. Also, South Korean President Moon Jae-in is very much a Korean nationalist. He would like to see better relations across the demilitarized zone. And he would like to shovel some cash into the coffers of Kim Jong-un, which means it's a very sensitive time for the United States. What should, well, let me start from the, the South Korean perspective. What do you think their, their asks might be in these talks? Or what do you, what do you expect uh, f- they will try to, to get out of the regime in Pyongyang, assuming that this goes forward on Tuesday? I think that they probably will just want, they won't ask this, but they will want peace during the Olympics and the Paralympics. So uh, they want the games to go off well. Uh, They just want peace. They want peace, and so that obviously means that there's a concern that Kim Jong-un might take that period of time to be particularly provocative, right? And so there's another side to this. Oh, absolutely. And we've got to remember, just in general, that uh, for for seven decades, the Kims have generally followed peace overtures by some sort of provocation. Um, that includes the Korean War itself, which followed an opening by Kim Il-sung for talks. And we've seen this in uh, 2010 when the North Koreans killed 50 South Koreans in two horrible incidents, which followed uh, two peace overtures. So Mu uh, Jae-in, um, who uh, you know, generally would like good relations with Kim, um, he's boxed in because... What that Kim will want is not permitted under U.N. Security Council sanctions. Also, the Trump administration is going to sit on him, which means that there could be another provocation should Kim not get what he wants. Gordon Chang is with us now. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, a nuclear showdown North Korea takes on the world. Uh, Gordon, does the Trump administration deserve some credit for this, if not thaw, I don't know what we'd call it, this, this small step in the right direction? Or, ir- or regardless of this step, uh, is Trump just doing the right stuff with sanctions? Are the sanctions working? From the U.S. side of things, what should we take from what's going on right now in North Korea? Well, I think Trump, who did take credit for this on Twitter, uh, is actually right, because Kim does want relief from those sanctions. But we also got to remember that this is part of the Kim playbook. You know, you refuse to talk to South Korea. You make a dramatic overture. You demand concessions from South Korea. And then sometimes you commit a provocation. So it's a little bit of both right now. Um, You know, in general, uh, Trump administration policy is sound. Cut off money to North Korea. 
But the thing is, in the last two months or so, a lot of the vigor of the sanctions effort has sort of been lost. And so um, the president gets some credit, um, should be getting more credit. He needs to be more vigilant. Um, We'll just have to see. And in terms of assessing the possibility or let's say the the likelihood, which still seems, I don't know if you characterize it, Gordon, as as remote uh, or or as something that is, um, you know, not unlikely, but still has to be taken very seriously. But any kind of of actual military confrontation with North Korea, are we moving away from that now? Because just a few weeks ago, it felt like based on the news reporting, uh, a major conflict could break out any day with North Korea. Well, I think that at least on a short-term basis, things do look better, because when the North and South Koreans are talking to each other, they're not killing each other. But long-term, I don't see things getting appreciably better, because you know President Trump has said so many times that he's not going to allow the North Koreans to get the capability to strike America. Um, the North Koreans uh, are within nine months, a year from doing that. And we don't see very much in the way of sanctions enforcement. Yeah, there's some progress on the part of China, but there's a lot of backsliding. And we don't see the progress that is necessary. What, so, what do you mean when you say backsliding by the Chinese, Gordon? Do we have some specific examples yet of it? Or are we just assuming that that's the way they always do this? No, uh, two things. First of all, there was the report that since October of last year, there were at least 30 incidences of uh, Chinese vessels transferring oil to North Korea. That's in violation of the sanctions that were put in place by the U.N. in September. Also, in December, a North Korean ship, which is under U.N. sanctions, not permitted to enter the port of any other country, it turned on its transponder at a Chinese port close to Shanghai, another clear violation by China. Um, Also, with all of these commodity transfers, it must be that Chinese banks have gone back to money laundering for the North Koreans. So there's a lot of uh, bad behavior on the part of Beijing here. Um, And this is not just, as you say, what we normally expect out of the Chinese. These are specific incidences that we know. And I'm sure with a little bit of time, we're going to know more of Chinese uh, sanctions busting in the last several months. What can we do about that, Gordon, with regard to the Chinese uh, lack of of vigor in, in the sanctions enforcement against North Korea other than the equivalent of what diplomatic uh, demarche and strongly worded memos, uh, Buck, we could get the Chinese to stop doing this if we exercise political will. So this is no longer this is passing from a question of Chinese ability to one of American feebleness. Specifically, we could start declaring large Chinese banks to be primary money laundering concerns under Section 311 of the Patriot Act. In other words, they would no longer be able to do business in dollars. That's effectively death sentences. Um, That would really push China into uh, having to help us. But we're not willing to do that because that's politically difficult. Uh, So, you know, this is one of those cases where we have it within our power. We don't need the U.N.'s approval. All we need is to enforce U.S. law. We do not allow Colombian drug lords to launder money through New York City. Yet we're allowing the Chinese, who, by the way, are supplying um, assistance to the North Korean nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs, we're allowing them to do this. So this is an issue of the failure of the American leadership to protect the American people. And if I could editorialize, I think that 320 million Americans should be really, really upset. 
Gordon Chang, everybody, author of The Coming Collapse of China and Nuclear Showdown. Also, you can go to gordonchang.com for his latest. Uh, Gordon, always great to have you. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Buck. Man, I I wish I could say that there was a a sense of a light at the end of the tunnel with North Korea, but it's just, it's an intractable problem, at least right now, and not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, I I think that Kim Jong-un is just trying to punk the South and is trying to pull a fast one here by getting a little bit of sanctions relief. Uh, No no change in the ideology of the regime. And that means that long term, we, we could still have a conflict on our hands. But we let's let's all pray and hope that that does not end up being the case. All right, we're going to be back with uh, much more here in the Freedom Hunt. Stay with me, team. Okay, team, so I've talked to you about cryptocurrency a little bit here on the show. Uh, In many ways, the biggest financial story of 2017 was the meteoric rise of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, most notably, but there are others as well. Uh, We're not going to talk about the tech of crypto right now, but we should talk a little bit about what it could mean for our future and for governments, the philosophy, if you will, behind cryptocurrency and how it could affect everything around us going forward. We got Michael Malice with us now. He is the host of Your Welcome and also the author of Dear Reader, the Unauthorized Autobiography of Kim Jong-il. Michael, great to have you, sir. Happy New Year. Thanks, Buck. You too. Tell me a little bit about uh, just your first, you know, first uh, moments with cryptocurrency. Your background in it. How did you get involved with this stuff? Well, I'm I'm an anarchist, so all my anarchist buddies have been on top of this for years. In fact, this was pretty much exclusively Bitcoin, uh, especially was something that was pretty much used in anarchist circles as an alternate method of pay it of payment as opposed to government money and fiat currency. So the fact that this has exploded into the public consciousness, not even a little bit, I mean, it's got a ways to go, is exactly going according to plan. Now, you said you're, you're, you're an anarchist, and this, is, uh, this taps into some of the criticisms of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a viable instrument going forward. One of the big criticisms or one of the big fears, depending on who you're talking to, people have is that governments will swoop in and they will say, sorry, no crypto, not allowed, because it is a challenge to our ability to print money effectively, right? So, Well, well, it's also a big challenge to the ability for governments to tax. So one of the big reasons behind Bitcoin is, uh, and just cryptocurrencies in general, is A, to make transactions anonymous and therefore uh, punishments for them will not be enforceable to make money easy to move anywhere at the speed of light and to have it in places where governments can access it, even with their strongest technology, um, and to have it not be taxable. So there's two, I'd say, right-wing schools of thought about how to approach the government and taxation. One of which is, you know, if you talk to enough people and you give them the conservative point of view, they'll realize that less taxation is better for everyone, And, you know, that's going to be the way of the future. That doesn't work that well. It's really hard to convince 300 million people of anything. And it takes a lot of time to do so. And still, less taxes isn't good enough for us anarchists. For us, it's no taxes. Uh, The income tax was passed in, what, like the early 1900s. We had a functional government for the income tax. So this is a – and currently it's, what, 40% of your money goes to the federal government for what? 
So this is a mechanism to hopefully long-term make taxation and government taking of people's property technically impossible. And to people who are listening, by the way, I probably should have started with this. And we're speaking to Michael Malice, who is the host of Your Welcome and author of Dear Reader, The Unauthorized Autobiography of Kim Jong-il. Just a, a quick, what is a cryptocurrency? Well, cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum is basically a amount, a number in a ledger where it functions like currency, like I can send it to you, you know, like points in a video game, for example, and it functions like a digital amount of money, just like any other. The thing is, our money, our fiat dollars, uh, is backed by nothing. It's the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve can pump out as much money as it wants, and by doing so, it causes things like inflations and boom and bust cycles, because money is a measure of value. So imagine trying to build a house, but your rulers keep changing every year the house would not be stable. And that's exactly what the Federal Reserve does. By having the value of money change constantly and in constantly changing amounts, it makes economic calculation that much more difficult. And you know, you see it happening with the Great Depression being the most extreme example of this as a consequence of the Federal Reserve being formed less than a generation prior. And what should people know about blockchain and blockchain technology, which is brought up in the discussions about Bitcoin, which is a type of cryptocurrency. Cryptos, as, as right. Michael mentioned, there are, there are many of them out there already. Bitcoin is the most well-known and had a, I can't even, what, what do we, what, off the top of your head, Michael, roughly what's been the rise of Bitcoin over the last 12 months in terms of if you bought it versus what you could sell it for now? Oh, you know, I, I don't even, it's, it's pretty volatile. Uh, and I remember I was very skeptical about this a few years ago, and I was going to put a lot of money into it. I think it was at uh, 300 because uh, all my anarchist buddies were doing it. The next day, collapsed to like 200, and I'm like, boy, did I dodge a bullet. And then a year later, when I looked again, it was at like 2,500 or something. Yeah, and so now I, and now I think, earlier, it, what, it hit 19,000 in December? I, it, I think it hit 20. I think it hit 20,000. Now it's about 15,000. But over year to year, as long term, even though it's had these busts, uh, it's also become a very effective mechanism for people in other countries where currency is a major problem and subject to government manipulation to store their money uh, safely and securely outside of those government's hands. We're seeing this in China. We're seeing this in African countries. Now, there's often talk of the disruption that a cryptocurrency would have on uh, on third. Oh, uh, blockchain. Real quickly. I got you off that for a second. But tell people what blockchain need uh, what they need to know about blockchain just before I move on to the private sector versus public sector and how crypto could affect they, they it. Don't need, they don't need to know anything about blockchain because it's really, really complicated and esoteric, and it's going to be hard for them to wrap their heads around it. I can't explain it very simply. It's, it's basically uh, everybody gets a copy of the ledger on their computer so nobody can change the ledger without it having to be changed on all the other computers, right? That's Right, right. So basically all the transactions are publicly accessible so you can keep track of where Bitcoin are moving from one place, to one wall to another, but everything is still... Uh, done anonymously and there's also uh, you can put notes in there and things like that yeah I mean anything yeah the coding and all that I have I have no idea I still have Molly I have Molly fix the DVR for me sometimes so anyway uh, so I, I, I plead total ignorance on that stuff but I do understand the conceptual aspect and with that in mind how crypto is something people talk about now assuming that this is for real and it will stay right some people say Michael it's a it's uh, just a complete bubble. It's made up by nothing, not even a government behind it. Therefore, it has truly no value. Uh, others are saying, oh, no, it's going to change the world we live in. If you're in the second category, that this is around for the long haul in some form, right. whether it's Bitcoin or one of the others, clearly it's going to have an effect on financial institutions that are there to create trust in transactions and also to be 
essentially the uh, the online lubricants of commerce. It's going to change right. that dramatically, but it also could, as as you and we started out with this, be a real challenge to some government authority. Well, I mean, how great it would it be if everyone in Venezuela had had their savings in Bitcoin instead of Venezuelan currency, which is now, I don't know what the inflation rates are, I think it's four figures, and people are eating dogs in the street and you can't even buy toilet paper, and at a certain point they even had a limit on how much money you could spend a day. Uh, whereas if you have this technology, that money is stored, you'd be the richest person in Venezuela and you'd have some security. So this is, I mean, it's one thing in America, but when you think about it in extreme cases, uh, where it's being used as a store of money that the government can't get its hands on. This could be a very, very effective mechanism for people to be secure in their property. We've got about a minute left, Michael. I just want to ask you, uh, do, what, do you what do you think the future of the U.S. government's role and regulation of cryptocurrencies is going to be? Uh, I don't think it's, I think they think that they have this under control. And I think this is going to be hopefully one of the big mechanisms that takes down the extreme amount of control government has over our lives. Because if they don't have control over a nation's finances, they really don't have control. I mean, like separation of church and state. Once the church did not have that tithing ability, it became an instrument of peace throughout the world, that, and people can look at other religions and admire them for their travel work. Once government can reach into your hands and, and take uh, 40% of your income before you even see it, that's a very different approach to politics and freedom. And anyone who wants to understand the political theory behind anarchism, what's the best book they should read, Michael? Anarchy and the Law by Ed Stringham. It's a collection of essays that look at it from every point of view. All right. Fantastic. Michael Malice, everybody. He is the author of uh, the unauthorized autobiography of Kim Jong-il, Dear Reader, and he's the host of Your Welcome. Michael, great to have you, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. Team, we're going to be right back. I've been warning for a while here on this show that we were entering, if we had not already entered, a period in which there was no longer uh, any presumption of innocence for those who were accused of any kind of sexual misconduct, uh, but it had uh, the pendulum had fully swung to the other side, that with the hashtag MeToo movement, it was now just enough for an accusation to be leveled to end someone's career, uh, to destroy their reputation, and perhaps even destroy uh, their life. And that worried me because, one, it's a tremendous amount of power to give to anyone. Two, it's certain to be abused at some point. And three, we know that progressives and the left are going to be the first ones to run off and do everything that they can in order to abuse such power for political purposes. And so that's why when I saw the New York Times of all places, hey, look, so, you know, sometimes they're just trying to be interesting, and so they have to say something that's not completely heinous or false. They published, no, it's an op-ed. This isn't the editorial board. They would never do this. But I give them credit for publishing the op-ed uh, publicly. We say, me too, privately we have misgivings. This is by an author, uh, Daphne Merkin. And now the, you got to if you're going to check it out, you got to skip past the part where she says the trickle down effect of cases like Kevin Spacey and Matt Lauer are those of Garrison Keillor, Jonathan Schwartz, Ryan Lizza and Al Franken, in which the accusations are scattered, anonymous or as far as the public knows, very vague and unspecific. She says that is troubling. I agree with this author. And you know that because I've been saying it here on the show for quite a while, I agree with this author that those are uh, that in, in general we should be concerned. But I would just note that her choice of which uh, which cases she finds to be 
particularly, um, well, the example of Franken. That's just, this is clearly a Democrat who's writing it because Franken only apologized and only had to step down because of the Democrats and the way they've established this uh, trial by public opinion. And they were willing to feed one of their own to the machine, so to speak. But overall, there's some very good points in the piece. And I, I do think that there's a, a recognition that right now there are far too many people who are willing to just make this immediate leap to, oh, women must be believed. And therefore, anybody who makes an accusation is telling the truth. And so the accused is toast. The accused is left out high and dry, even if they could otherwise mount a pretty vigorous defense of himself, right? Because the accused in these cases are almost exclusively men. Um, But the other part of this piece that I thought was interesting was what this means for relations between men and female, uh, male and female in general, particularly in the workplace, though. She writes, I think the confusion reflects a deeper ambivalence about how we want to want and expect people to behave. Expressing sexual interest is inherently messy and, frankly, non-consensual. One person, typically the man, bites the bullet by expressing interest in the other, typically the woman, whether it happens at work or at a bar. Some are now suggesting that come-ons need to be constricted to a repressive degree. Asking for consent before proceeding with any sexual advance seems both innately clumsy and retrograde, like going back to the childhood game of Mother May I. Look, I totally agree with this author. And I would note that when I've looked at some of the accusations against some of these uh, individuals, some of these guys, it's included things like, you know, unwanted sexual advance. Well, was it a peer or is it somebody in a position of authority? Because if it's a peer, is an unwanted sexual advance leaning in to kiss somebody that you think wants to kiss you back? I mean, if you lean in and she gives you either the headbutt where she kind of like puts her chin down and, you know, gives you the head or gives you the cheek, the turn to the side, you know, no harm, no foul. I don't know what else the options are that we're presented with because you're going to ask, may I kiss you now? Every guy out there who's single or remembers what it's like to be single will be like, yeah, not going to get a lot of goodnight kisses that way, my friends. May I give you a kiss now, please? I have enjoyed this date thoroughly and would like to press my lips against your lips. That's not going to work out very well for, for most people. But it seems that that's now what we've been pushed to. And I would also note that there are some that are using the Me Too, Me Too movement who were not victims, but are just, not victims themselves, but are just grandstanding this thing like nobody's business. You know, oh yeah, I'm... Now I'm going to be America's conscience when it comes to relations between men and women. And, you know, without without naming names, uh, at least not today, it's just so uh, petty and gross. Right. It should be about uh, trying to get justice for those who have been victimized and prevent real harassment and abuse from happening. It shouldn't be used as a as a career opportunity for some people but that's exactly what's happened you know there are some spokespersons now for the me too movement that you know weren't weren't abused or attacked in any way were just harassed maybe they say and then they've used this as a as a way of elevating their own careers I've, i find that frustrating but anyway the me too movement is uh worth a, another look 
and uh, worth, I think, some uh, introspection. Uh, we're going to come back with some Team Buck roll call. Stay with me. Well, team, it is going to be absolutely freezing here in New York City and for much of the East Coast. I think much of the country this weekend. I'm hearing crazy temperatures. I mean, I'm hearing the kind of temperatures that uh, smarmy New Yorkers like me uh, bring up only to make fun of what people in Chicago have to deal with. You know, it's so cold that it hurts your face cold when you walk outside. And then you got to get into the, do I wear a face mask when I go outside? That seems a little constricting or constrictive to me. I'm not sure I want to wear a face mask. Uh, plus, you know, there's the whole thing of I don't have a face mask. So I'm looking to uh, probably hunker down this weekend. Great weekend, though, to put the finishing touches on the Shields High podcast, which launches Monday, and uh, it, we are all systems go. And those of you who are OSS and been with the Buck Sexton show since day one or, or early on know that this has been a passion project of mine for a while. Uh, I was able to convince the folks here at uh, Premier Radio Networks that it was worth letting me uh, take a shot at doing these history epic storytelling podcast and that's what it will be it'll be epic storytelling but it is also going to rely on all of you it's going to be free just like the show so just download it there's no cost associated with the shields high podcast Uh, but we literally every download counts because they count every download we can see it we live in this crazy digital world now where we don't have to guess at the numbers we can actually see how many folks listen to the show. Uh, so that's going to mean that the first few episodes in particular, the more you can spread the word and share it with friends, people that don't even care about politics, if they listen to uh, audio in any form, if they're podcast listeners, if they're radio listeners, if they don't care about politics, that's fine. This is not a political product I am putting out. It is just going to be the most captivating, but also reasonable in length uh, history descriptions and history storytelling that I can come up with. So I think it's a great opportunity to get some folks to join the team, so to speak, that have not been a part of it up to this point. You can follow on the iHeart app. Uh, Those of you who are iHeart app listeners, you already know all about that, but follow Shields High on the iHeart app and then on, uh, or, or also, and this is very easy, on iTunes, just go into the podcast section of iTunes, type in Shields High, and then click subscribe, and it will download automatically each episode of the show. Monday is Charles Martel, Charles the Hammer, and we will talk about the Battle of Tours and what it meant at the time, what it meant for Western civilization. The thread that will be... uh, holding together that will be connecting all of the different podcasts in the Shields High series is the defense of Western civilization. Uh, That means that this first uh, season we're planning here, which I'm hoping to be about uh, 10 to 12 episodes, will be battles between the uh, Islamic conquest and and the West and Christendom. So many of you will know some of the battles we'll be talking about. Tour, for example, Uh, with Charles Martel, but then also uh, various sieges, the two major sieges of Vienna, uh, the siege of Malta, the fall of Constantinople in 1453. Uh, These are going to be some of the uh, 
the battles that we will delve into together on the show. Uh, there is also hope that we'll get to a whole separate Crusades section. I'm not sure exactly uh, which parts of the Crusades yet. I might fold some of that into this season. And then we will probably go back in time and discuss some of the most important battles of antiquity. The pass at Thermopylae, the 300, Leonidas and his Spartans. This is all down the line. But for right now, we are going to be jumping into it on Monday together. The Shields High podcast. Follow it on the iHeart app. And yes, subscribe on iTunes and I do ask all of you, if you wouldn't mind, please, it was my birthday on December 28th, and my birthday from Team Buck, uh, birthday present, is uh, telling people about this podcast. Because if we get big numbers going, it just means there will be uh, even more resources and time that we can put toward doing these additional, uh, well, additional episodes, and then even additional seasons, and then we'll get merchandise going, t-shirts, I've got so much cool stuff planned i'm already i've already got some new battle cries i want to test out on you it's going to be a really really fun uh really really fun experience epic storytelling shields high follow it and uh, share it with friends it's already up on my facebook page uh, facebook.com slash buck section you could subscribe there the episode isn't up but if you subscribe as soon as we release the episode next week on monday it'll be in your inbox and you're good to go and there you have it. So, with all of that established, let me now turn to Team Buck Roll Call, where we get to hear from all of you. Uh, wow, this is quite a long one. Buck, the history broadcast you're planning sound fascinating. You might like the following couple of folks to get things interesting. Uh, to get my history challenge friends to give it some thought, I pose the following Intriguing question. First, forget the prime directive. Okay, now this is a very long note. <laughs> so, Michael, I will read this, but I can't read it on air in full. Although I do appreciate very much your uh, sharing your thoughts and, and wisdom here on Facebook. But we got it. We're going to have to move to the next one. I'm psyched that you're psyched about the history shows. It's going to be awesome. Uh, here we get Peter writing, and hey, Buck, glad that I found you through listening to Glenn a few years ago and have listened almost every day on podcasts since. Happy New Year to you and Miss Molly. Would love to see you do a history deep dive or Shields High episode on the Korean War, Incheon, and or the Truman-MacArthur controversy. Uh, Shields High, Happy New Year from Pete. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for your note. Uh, that would be in the later episodes we talk about, or later series, I should say. This is our seasons. We're planning the first, as I said, the Islamic conquest and the counter-conquest of Christendom. That's the uh, that's the, this season's description of Shields High. But if you guys like the show and if you share the show and we have a critical mass of folks who want it, who want to hear more, we are definitely going to do it. And so... Korean War would be a great addition to that. Very much appreciate the suggestion and the kind words. Uh, okay, next up here on the list. Uh, oh, whoops, I just went to that one, sorry. Andrew writes in, Happy Friday, Buck. So this was from a few days ago. I just, oh no, this is from this morning. Excuse me, Andrew. Happy Friday, Buck. I keep thinking that it's Tuesday because I was in vacation mode and it's my second day of the week and I haven't yet figured out that I'm going to be able to go home pretty soon and uh, Netflix and history research, which is really just going to turn into history research, I think, all weekend. 
Uh, happy Friday, Buck. Just want to say that some level that the level of stupidity and incompetence in Washington, D.C. is ludicrous and makes me wonder how some of these people got elected or appointed. If Obamacare is so great and Congress is a representative of the people that made me laugh, then why did Congress opt out of Obamacare? Also, in 2017, I heard some interesting rumors about Bernie Sanders' financial situation regarding his wife and their home. I was wondering if you heard anything. Look forward to the new history podcast, Andrew. Well, Andrew, let me say this. Uh, haven't heard any updates about Bernie. Is his wife in trouble for the mortgage or whatever it was? The fraud? The property fraud of some kind? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if Bernie's... I should actually check on... Do we know anything about Bernie? We don't know Bernie, right? Is his wife in trouble for the... Remember there was an investigation into her? No updates. Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, but as to Congress being stinky, you are correct, sir. And I can't, I can't convince you or tell you otherwise because that would be a lie. Congress is uh, pretty stinky. But then you get into the whole, is it Congress's fault or is Congress really just a reflection of the dysfunction of American public opinion at this point in time in our polity? Ah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. So we have Stanton running. Good to have you back, Buck. Hope you and Miss Molly enjoyed Aruba. Love the name change for the show. Uh, also super psyched with the Shields High podcast. Happy 2018 from Stanton. Stanton, Stanton thank you so much, sir. Uh, I'm excited about it, too. And uh, yeah, Miss Molly and I had a good time. Aruba, if you're looking for a place to go and you don't want any nonsense, you know, you, you just want it to be very straightforward. You want great, great weather and a really good beach. It's all on the West Coast where all the tourism stuff is in Aruba. The East Coast is kind of rocky. And you can see when I go to these places, I try to research and learn about them. The East Coast is uh, not, there's really not any resorts there. Uh, but the beach is amazing. The weather's perfect and it's safe. And, you know, there's stuff to do. Uh, not the most amazing uh, cultural immersion experience you'll ever get anywhere. But, you know, if you're looking for a beach, I don't think you really care all that much about that, right? Uh, Dave writes in with the following. Um, Hold on a second, Dave. I just managed to lose your... uh, Yeah, here we go. I love your show and listen to it on my way home uh, at night in Nebraska. I have a question I hope you can help me with. Can you sometime talk about security clearances for folks who work in government or as contractors? When they leave their elected or appointed offices, such as the Clintons and Obama, what happens to their security clearance? Do they lose it on their last day in office? Are some allowed to keep that level of clearance? Thanks and keep up the great work on behalf of freedom from Dave. Uh, Dave, presidents are a particular. So I kept my security clearance even after I formally severed with the CIA for a little while, but then I didn't renew so you keep it for some period of time. But for presidents, it's different because their security clearance is considered to be the confidence of the American people as represented through the election. And presidents for their whole lifetime keep the ability to see very high level government information. So it's different for uh, for presidents. Um so that's uh, there you go. All right, team, I'm going to close up shop here in the Freedom Hut and try to get home before I turn into a human popsicle, which is very likely here in New York City, given uh, how cold it's going to be. I know some of you in Minnesota are like, that's not even cold, uh, but it's pretty cold. It's like negative 10 degrees here this weekend. So that's oh, yeah, that's cold. Um, thank you again for uh, coming to hang out with me in the Freedom Hut. I'm excited for all the shows we got next week. Do download the Shields High podcast on Monday. Subscribe now, though, so you don't forget. It's going to be a, a epic storytelling phenomenon, and you can be a part of it from 
the beginning. Also, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for those of you who are uh, more inclined to use Facebook. The link is up there. All right. Next week, every day, we're going to rock out here. Until next time, this is the Buck Sexton Show saying to you all, shields high and stay warm.